We're going to spend our time together today, this morning and this evening, talking about Elijah. And as was already read by Evan this morning, James is talking about the effective prayer of a righteous man. And he talks about Elijah, who is a man who has a nature like ours. So there are some wonderful lessons we can learn from Elijah. And um, for today, I want to take the two chapters in which the events surrounding what James was talking about, this effective prayer, I want to take these events in the two chapters of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17 and 18. So if you would, turn your Bibles over there. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And, and we're going to glean a number of lessons. Now, um, Emerson is going to read this for us in just a moment. And it's a rather lengthy reading. And I thought it would be good for us to, to just go on and, and, and at the beginning read the whole thing. And we'll talk about it throughout this lesson this morning and the lesson tonight. Uh, let me sort of catch you up to speed, remind you of a few things before he does that. Elijah, of course, was one of the great prophets of God, and his name means Yah is God. We first read of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, right here where we're going to be starting. This is the first thing we ever learn about him. And in this, God punishes Israel for forsaking the commandments of the Lord and following after the Baals. Now at this time Ahab was king over Israel. And he brought calamity upon them by listening to his wife Jezebel. Just as a side note, that's a good lesson right there. Never listen to your wife. No, just teasing about that. He listened to his wife. But the real lesson is there, don't listen to sinful people and their counsel. Listen to his wife who was Jezebel and then led God's people to worship Baal. In the course of events now, Jezebel tried to annihilate all the prophets of God. But a man named Obadiah that we read about hid a hundred of these prophets in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now directed by God, Elijah prayed that it would not rain. And this was to punish the Israelites because of this drought, to punish them for their sins and to bring this famine James chapter 5, verse 17 that we've already read about. Then Elijah, by the command of God, fled into the wilderness, and there he was fed by ravens and drank from a brook. Now when the brook dried up, God sent him to a widow, and the widow took care of him. Now three and a half years into the famine, uh, into the drought, Elijah went to Ahab as God commanded him, and he spoke the word of the Lord to him. In doing this, he challenged and defeated 850 prophets. 450 were prophets of Baal, and 400 were prophets of the Asherah. He did this by the power of God, proving that Yahweh is God. Then, directed by God, he prayed that it would rain again, and it did proving once again that Yahweh is God. So now Emerson, it's a rather lengthy reading. He's going to read this for us, and if you would, follow along with us as, as we read this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, 
As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived, to, lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. And behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said. But make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, of, the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and, and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come, you have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom, and carried him up to the upper room where he was living, and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying and by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord, is in your, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was very severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. 
So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. When they said, He is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord greatly from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? And now you are saying, Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here, and then he will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, O troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the Lord did not, excuse me, but the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now then, let us give them two oxen, and let, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up, and place it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox, and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone asleep, or is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried aloud with a loud voice, cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the first until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there is no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. 
Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he, then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and also filled the trench with water. With water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I, I have done all the things, all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishron and he slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went to the top of Carmel. And he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Thank you, Emerson. I'm sure everyone enjoyed and was encouraged by hearing the word of the Lord, a rather lengthy reading. And I'm sure you had many ideas and many lessons and things you were thinking about as we went through that. And I would like to share just a few of the ones I had. Three, three thoughts this morning and then three more again this evening. And the first one I could not help but think about because of our series on suffering that we just concluded and that there is a price to pay for serving God and delivering his message to lost souls. And you remember as Elijah was living in the wilderness and homeless, only having the essentials, there having to be fed by the ravens and then to be provided for by a widow. And how about the hundred prophets that Obadiah hid, living in a cave, only having bread and water to survive, separated from their loved ones and their families for uh, certainly what would be an extended period of time. And how about the prophets that were killed? Because of the efforts of Jezebel and, and just her, her anger and, and her evilness to kill the prophets of God, and simply because they were obeying God, they were hunted down, perhaps even like animals, and killed. As we've talked about in our 
series on suffering that faithful people of God suffer. And sometimes it's while God is bringing about such events as they, these events here that were brought about just in preparing for his word to be delivered and to be proved in such a way that he is Jehovah, that he is Yahweh, that he is God. Just as the Israelites suffered in Egypt 400 years just in preparation for God to bring them out in a magnificent way and prove to the world that he is Jehovah. They suffered so that these events could come about in God's way, according to his will. We too as God's children oftentimes suffer. Let's be reminded of a few scriptures. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 5. And Jesus here is giving the Sermon on the Mount and is telling of his disciples and that we would suffer and that we certainly are blessed because of these things. In Matthew chapter 5 and beginning in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in it, it, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we see this persecution of the prophets. And just as they persecuted the prophets, just as they persecuted Jesus Christ and the apostles and early disciples, they too will persecute all those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. As long as this, this earth shall last. And go with me over to Revelation chapter 2. Jezebel was a, a source of great persecution at this time. And the source of the persecution of these prophets and the source, we'll talk about later, of inciting people to do evil, 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. And here Jesus, in writing to the church here, talks about these Jezebels who are in congregations of the Lord's people in Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 20. Jesus says, through John, to this church at Thyatira, but I, say this, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now this is a type, this is a figure, this is an analogy just as Jezebel in the days of Elijah was a source of this persecution and inciting people to do evil and depart from the ways of God, there was this Jezebel representative of the false prophets and false teachers of the day doing the exact same thing. Again to our text in Revelation 2 verse 20, the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her, great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, 
who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. There are Jezebels in the church. There always have been, there always will be Jezebels, analogous to those who incite people to do evil and persecute Christians. God's people oftentimes have to suffer and sometimes endure extreme circumstances for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus tells us to rejoice. So they did with the prophets. So they did with Jesus and the apostles and early Christians. And so they will do to all of God's people throughout time upon the earth. And so we must beware of their tactics. Be turning with me over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. And as Peter was preparing to depart from this life and saw that the time was near, as Jesus had told him even before he left this earth, he is concerned of God's people being drawn away by false teachers and false prophets. So we must be aware of their tactics. Oftentimes they lie about God and his children, they lie about the gospel, and they lie about the church to lead people away from God. Remember John 8, 44, that Satan is the father of all lies. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, they twist the truth to their own destruction. And they do this, Ephesians 4, 14, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Now look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So we must beware, we must be watching out of these evil motives in which they come to us with their false doctrines. Look down at verse 9, beginning now in verse 9 of 2 Peter 2. Then the Lord knows how to re rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corruptive, uh, corrupt desires and despise authority. Now look at their behavior of those who would come with these doctrines. Daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels, which are greater in, in might and power, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reviling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery and never ceasing from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, and loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke from his own transgression, from a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man 
restrain the madness of the prophet. So just like Balaam, and we read about Balaam as another type in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. And Balaam, for money, because of his greed, showed the king how to put a stumbling block in front of God's children. And he did this for money, for his own personal financial gain. Verse 17, of those Jezebels or those who are like Balaam who would come into God's people, verse 17, these are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And so we must watch out for these who bring persecution, who incite God's people to turn away and to follow in the ways of Satan, we must be aware of their tactics. Also, besides using sensuality and lust and their false doctrines, they also try to use other people against us, even those whom we love. We must be aware. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want us to remind us of the deception of Satan in the garden. And I want to begin, first of all, by looking at Paul as he mentions this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And I want to suggest to you that Satan deceived Eve and then used Eve to get to Adam. And Satan, this is one of his tactics, that sometimes he uses other people against us or other people to get to us. This may be peer pressure at work or at school or in our communities. This may be the peer pressure of politics in today's age of being so tolerant and never speaking out and never saying anything that would be displeasurable to anyone. This is peer pressure to try to shut us up and to try to silence the message of the gospel. And Satan sometimes uses other people to try to get to us. Go with me over to Genesis chapter 3, and I want us to, to look very quickly at the events that happened there. Genesis chapter 3. And, and remember, as Paul reminded us, it was Eve who was deceived. And then having been, been deceived, she went there and, and gave to Adam. And I'm suggesting to you that Satan used her. In Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, a lot of lessons here, but just a funny one for just one second. If you ever come upon a snake and he starts talking to you, don't pay any attention to him. Don't pay any attention at all. But she did. And notice what it says there in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or, uh, eat from it or touch it, or you shall die. Now verse 4. Notice the response here of Satan. 
The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Here in direct conflict to the very plain word of God. And I just want to pause here for a second. Because you remember in teaching and working and communicating that those who have these false doctrines oftentimes directly conflict verbatim the word of God. And we must be very careful to pay attention to that. So back to the text in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. The serpent said, you shall surely not die. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, Satan here is, is telling a half truth. He's using the truth and he is twisting it to deceive her. Just like Peter warns in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, they twist the truth. So yes, indeed, their eyes would be open. Yes, indeed, they would know the difference between good and evil. But it was not God's motives in giving this command to try to trick them or to keep them living in ignorance with their eyes closed, not knowing what is going on in that fashion. God was not being mean. Some people say this is the first lie that God ever told. And it's just not true. The truth is being twisted here to deceive Eve. Now look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now remember, Paul tells us Adam was not deceived, Eve was deceived, but then she took that and gave it to him. We don't know what the communication was. We, we don't know at all what the communication was, but she took it and she gave it to him, and he ate. In other words, I'm suggesting to you that Satan used Eve to get to Adam. Without even deceiving him, Paul says, she used him to get to Adam. Now look at verse 17. We'll be done with this, with this chapter. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, that's the Lord, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will, you will eat of it all the days of your life. In other words, Eve took it and gave it to him, and he listened to her voice. Satan used Eve to get to Adam. And this is a tactic that is being used by the ministers of Satan, by those who would preach false doctrines and try to incite us to evil just as Jezebel did to her husband Ahab and to all of Israel to even kill the prophets of God. And we must beware of such tactics. Oftentimes the messengers, if possible, are destroyed. Jesus was killed because in his great wisdom and in his speech they felt they had no other choice, no other way to defeat him, no other way to silence him but to put him to death. The same was true for apostles, early Christians. 
the crusades, which were so horrible in all the world, and the disgusting things that were done to silence those who opposed them. And now the jihad of radical Islam is to silence and to put to death all who would disagree with them. And we too must be watchful of such peer pressure that we too do not succumb to those who would incite people to turn away from God and to silence the messengers as Jezebel worked so hard to do. But by the will of God, not all the messengers were slain. Some were hid away. And Elijah lived, although he suffered so greatly, coming to the time in which God had appointed great things to be revealed. Well, our time is up. I got only to one, to one lesson of the three I planned on this morning, so we'll just pick up here and go as far as we can tonight. There is a price to pay for saving God and being his messenger. But we see the great reward, even in the life of Elijah, who was lifted up into heaven to be with God. Certainly there is great reward in following in the footsteps of our Savior and following after our God. Uh, we're going to end the lesson here. If you'd like to get your songbooks out, we'll open up and sing the song of encouragement in just a second. That's number 325, and the song is I Am Resolved. And as we've talked about these things and the things we've read about this morning, the reading of the events in the first Kings chapter, chapter 17 and 18 there took a great resolution. We're going to talk about, Lord willing, when we get to it, that we as God's children must do difficult and challenging things. We're called to do those. And we'll talk about Obadiah and what he was called to do and his hesitancy about that. And he did as God asked him to do, and it took resolution on his behalf and of Elijah and of the prophets that were hid away in a cave and of all those who would follow after God. And it takes great resolution today to make the resolution no longer to linger not charmed by this world's delight, but to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. If you've made that resolution and you're a Christian today, I, I hope that you'll, you'll make that once again. As Paul says, I die daily. He resolved all over again every day to be committed more than ever. I pray you'll do that once again. But if you're not a Christian, I pray that you'll be resolved now for the first time to walk in the footsteps of your Savior. And what must you do? Jesus simply asked you to believe that he is he, the one he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, and to render obedience to him. What must you do? Repent of your sins. That's just turning away from those things that are wrong to live the way Jesus asked you to live. To make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you'll rise up a new creature, raised up with Jesus Christ, added to his church, washed in his blood, resolved from this point forward to be his disciple, disciple and walk in his footsteps. If we can help you all this morning, won't you be resolved and come to the front this morning as we stand and sing?